With the NBA Finals around the corner, you can bet with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code VOXMMA. That's code VOXMMA for new customers to get a no-sweat bet up to $1,500 if your first bet doesn't hit. Only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or in West Virginia, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 and over, age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. One no-sweat bet per new customer. Issued as one bonus. Bonus bet based on amount of initial losing bet. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligibility, wagering, and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. You're listening to the Vox Media Podcast Network. Hey, we're live, pal. Wow, that's really loud. Hey, we're live, pal. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of the A-Side Live Chat here on MMAfighting.com. I am, of course, your host, Jose Youngs, here in scorching hot Phoenix, Arizona. When I say hot, I don't think you can comprehend. It was about 118 yesterday. Uh, so yeah, don't come to Arizona ever if you want to live in the summer. And joining us, I'm happy to have him back after two years away. The last time you saw him on this program, he was the host. This was his show the last time he was on, and I was his final guest. I think we did like two and a half hours on his last show, but joining us this week. Also, I get, we wrote Phoenix, but I don't know technically where he is in Arizona. Sean Alshadi. The prodigal son has returned. How's life? My man, it is good to be back. Life is great. I mean, actually, life is terrible. You woke me. You got me doing this like an hour after this Chris Paul news. I can't. Oh, yeah. I can't hey. handle this. Like, I'm hey. on tilt right now. I'm just putting on a brave face for the world because I'm actually you, petrified of what's going you, on in my neck could, of the woods. You could be a Clippers fan. You could be a Clippers fan. Just tell yourself that. Well, I, I never, that would never be a thing. I don't know yeah, why that would ever but, be. But at least Who's a Chris Clippers Paul, fan? I don't know. Uh, is our old pal Dave Doyle a Clippers fan? Doyle? That's, well, a Clipper, <laughs> one person. Clipper fan. Yeah, who's the Clipper yeah, fan? Yeah. I said from fan. One yeah, I said there is eight. They have, I think Billy Crystal's a fan, so they have two. Yeah. And they lost Kawhi Leonard for the whole, for like until next year. Chris Paul can't come back through that. What That series is 2-2. Let's just pray it goes seven games and Chris Paul gets all the time he needs. 
and then I hope the Clippers win now. So the Suns do have to play Rudy Gobert and that whole machine that is barreling through the Western Conference. But anyway, Casey, I'll bring on the Clippers. Or not the Clippers. Bring on the Jazz. Bring on the Jazz, man. I'll I'm take fine with that. I'll, I'll take, take that all day. Just give me Chris Paul healthy back. That's all I want. Like, this is our year. This is supposed to be the magical year where everything happens. I just bought like three different Suns and four gear merch yesterday. Like, we're going all in. We got to go all in. We need Chris Paul back. I, so now if you if anyone sees Sean Alshadi in the wild, you have to yell sons and four at him because that's his first name, apparently, as you can see on this lower third <laughs> that Casey whipped up. I tried to put Sean Alshadi and then it kept autocorrecting to sons and four. It's not there my call. It's a, there you go. It's not my call. Right. Uh, there you no, go. But it is wonderful to be back here on this program, Jose. I remember two. It was like yesterday where I uh, brought you on, passed you the reins, and now it's all coming full circle, my man. It's good to be back. Back in the day when the host was running pretty much all of the production and then the pandemic came, Casey was like, no, we're going to make it pretty. And I was like, please, (laughs) thank God, (laughs) take it out of my hands. I can't handle all the technical issues. Sean, you missed the, I think it was like two months of chaos. Every single episode that I hosted for two months, something went wrong or something collapsed or something broke. And we would, it was, people remember, we don't have to talk about that. I think the, I think I'm the only journalist more, I think I'm the only journalist more cursed than Luke Thomas when it comes to technical issues. But Casey, I noticed you're in America. Yeah. Oh yeah. This, this, I'm in America, living in America. Um, yeah. Doing good. Uh, yeah. It's uh, um, to be more specific. I'm in Inglewood, California, which is part of America. <laughs> And um, we are a good 40 degrees cooler than um, you weirdos and living out in the desert in Arizona. So um, I'm smart. (laughs) I'm I'm, I'm smart. Last week when the rest of our fellow media members were in Arizona, they were remarking how hot it was. And I was looking at the week ahead and I'd be like, you you came at the perfect time. Because it was like 101 last week. And now today is a a cool, balmy high of 117. For, two, like, for three days. That's kind of like when I was in, I remember when I was in Abu Dhabi for Habib versus Dustin. Oh. And it was like, you no, know, 110. And we're like, oh my God. And all the, all the people at the hotel was like, oh, this is a cool week. And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> Dude, that's I do have to say that Abu Dhabi weather, because I was there with you, Casey. Oh, wait, wait, that, wait, that same event? Okay, okay. Yes. Oh, yeah, I remember now. Yeah, yeah. That, I, Jose, we live in on the surface of the sun, but my man, I have never experienced heat to the degree that that Abu Dhabi week was. That was the most insane thing I've ever experienced. Because it was the heat on top of the humidity, and it just punched you in the face the moment you stepped outside a taxi. I I got in at like midnight. The first night, and I stepped outside the taxi, and I was wearing glasses because I was just coming from the airport. And my glasses instantly fogged up, literally a half a second after being outside of the taxi. It was the most ridiculous welcome well, to Abu Dhabi experience. Well, yeah, I spent I spent eight weeks in Abu Dhabi in the last twelve months. So by the seventh week, I was just like sitting outside on my balcony. I was like, "This isn't so bad." And then. And then I went back to Arizona and I was like, oh, this is what non-humidity, like my body completely acclimatized Abu Dhabi by week seven. It was not great. It was not I think that's called Stockholm syndrome. Yeah, especially when you can only go from one hotel to another hotel to an arena. And that's literally just a triangle you can do. Oh, it was brutal. I remember I missed the bus and I had to go interview Israel Adesanya and the city kickboxing boys at their hotel. And I missed the shuttle. So I had all this camera gear and I ran 
poor decision. Ooh, poor, that, poor decision. That's a bad call. <laughs> yeah, because I had to get there in like five minutes. So I ran and I get there and literally Astrum and Gage was like, do you want another shirt? And I was like, probably. Probably. Because I was so sweaty. <laughs> anyway. Wait, wait, wait. You wait got- before we go on, I have one one last weather-related um, uh, factoid. <laughs> so uh, talking about how hot it was, there was a story on uh, the Associated Press released about in Arizona in particular, there, doctors were warning people it is so hot outside that people are dying from not from the heat, but they fall down and then they fry themselves on the asphalt. It happens. That's how freaking hot Wait, it is. Is that real? No, it was real. It was, just, it was a story. But these doctors are warning. I think it's mostly for like o- older people. Um, they don't want to have heat strokes going on walks because they'll fall down and they'll and they'll they would die. Frying themselves on the street because the asphalt gets so hot. Oh my! And so they're warning people just be extra careful. But (laughs) I read that story and on Twitter, you know, and then I left a comment. I go, "Ooh, grilling yourself to death—that's gotta suck." So I wrote that. It was like a little little throwaway thing. I was like, "Oh, that sucks." And then, like five minutes later, I get a notice from Twitter. I got—I was put in Twitter jail for twelve for um, twelve hours because they said I was promoting suicide. <laughs> I'm not joking. I was promoting suicide. Jeez. <laughs> so if you haven't seen me on Twitter the last twelve hours, it was because I was in Twitter jail. That's where you went. I was, That's why I, got, I was wondering why my Twitter feeds like got calmed down for a minute. We. <laughs> Twitter is a Twitter is a strange place. I've I've learned this past weekend, as Sean knows, Twitter is a bizarre place, and <laughs> there are corners of it that I did not expect whatsoever. As I oh open Twitter God. right now, and Diego Sanchez is tweeting about UFOs. Anyway, you had a uh, whole Justin Bieber civil war going on in your Twitter this weekend. That it, was that Casey was wild. Blaser. You weren't yeah. Did you, you were kidding? I was like, I, looked, like, I looked if anyone it, I goes, like, if anyone goes. And then I quote tweeted, I was like, y'all are nuts. And then they like, I have like a thousand apologies. Like we apologize for the fan base. I was like, you're good guys. I, you're fine. Stop tweeting at me. <laughs> Please stop. Pl- I'm tired of the notifications. Dude, and everyone's you- like, oh, your Twitter note. You probably got a bunch of followers. Almost none. Almost none. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no one cares. No one cares about MMA in the in the in the in the Bieber world. Anyway, if, if people were going through your history, I saw like tweets from like ten years ago. Like those. Yeah, that was you know weird. when you when when you're like a shitty college kid and you're trying to just be kind of clever with your tweets. Yeah. So I I threw one out there and everyone's digging it up. And then I was like, yeah, bro, I was ten years ago. I was twenty. I have no issue with Justin Bieber. Like. He's doing his thing, all power to him. And everyone's like, oh, my God, he's one of us. I'm like, no, don't say that. <laughs> don't say that. I just I just have no issue with him. And it was – and then everyone got on our, our colleague, Damon Martin, too, because he was kind of like – he, like, caught the shrapnel because they took all of their rage and, like, directed it at him. It was a very bizarre scene. Twitter is a strange place. Well, well how um, weird is it also that MMA fans were all like, oh, Justin Bieber performed at the uh, the Jake Paul. Triller. Uh, triller. Triller. Event. Oh. And then two, a month later, the UFC, like, hey, look who's at our event, Justin Bieber. <laughs> so <laughs> that's amazing. Uh, I just want to know what Justin Bieber was thinking of when he was driving through Glendale, Arizona. <laughs> past all the farms and everything anyway, anyway you you guys know the drill we could talk about justin bieber i know sean can for the next 60 minutes but will i answer your questions as as they come you can ask on twitter sean i don't know if you know but we're streaming on twitter and facebook now 
So this isn't just a YouTube show. Look at so this. We'll be on, Look at we'll this. We'll grown up. Grown we're up. On, we're on Periscope and we're on Facebook Live. So Casey's man in the questions. He, we have a ton that came in on the site and through in the Twitter mentions. I'm sure more will come. I'm already seeing Sons and Four comments in the YouTube comments. So Sons and Four, up, baby. Keep Let's that go. up. <laughs> so keep it up anyway casey what is our first say, question i i'm interrupting you i just have to say i have watched that video about 40 different times at least at least a couple of things most impressive part is just the fact that he's holding homeboy while talking to other homeboy and just telling him 100%. i'm messing up your boy i'm messing up your boy gets one more shot and then does the sons and four the the execution on that is just flawless flawless the chain hold like you didn't you ain't getting away oh my god i could go i could i could deep dive this video for like an hour and a half but i, I don't think anybody wants to hear that but excellent just 10 out of 10 like if there's a perfect video on the internet it's that Dude. And that guy, was, that guy was such a punk he was all trying to play cool play cool and then he came in oh he thought he was gonna be he was crying sucker punch totally deserved it and the fact that you, you know that he totally deserved it because afterwards sons and four king is out there doing the gladiator are you not entertained type of type of situation in the arena and none of the nuggets fans are against him they're all kind of for him and like fair on enough. that side and it's like yeah those guys probably deserved it fair play fair play <laughs> i pay to you guy anyway uh, we, we we done talking about sprots ball you know sprots <laughs> Can we talk about real a real sport, mixed martial arts? Can we talk about that? Let's now? see what you guys got. Hit hit us with these damn questions. Let's see what we got here. It wouldn't be the A side if we intend. From Waves, the Waves Ooh. coming in our Twitter section. A shout blue out, chip. So we got out. a blue check. Yes. So, so shout out to Waves, great musician. Go check out his music. I think he had a new song come out this month, or a new single, or they had a new single. But anyway, his question: Can Paulo Costa be a babyface for the first time in his career if he fights Marvin Vittori next? So yes, I don't know. As we'll use this to set up a few things. Marvin Vittori, of course, came up short. In his bid to dethrone UFC middleweight champion Israel Asan, UFC 263 this past week, and that was, of course, the second time they fought. I think for a split second, he convinced himself he won, <clears throat> uh, especially inside the octagon. But if you watch the post-fight interviews backstage, he didn't unfortunately didn't get to talk to us backstage at the press conferences. But he gave Israel Asan his props and respect after spending eight rounds uh, in the octagon with him, and then immediately called out the drunken Bordagina. Uh, A.K. Paulo Costa. Paulo Costa then tweeted, "I will fight this idiot if he dresses like this." And it was a photo of Marvin Vittori <laughs> wearing his shorts backwards. So, Paulo Costa is a weird guy. Marvin Vittori is a weird guy. They're both angry, muscly men, and both have losses to Israel Adesanya. So, Sean, can Paulo Costa actually be a babyface against Marvin Vittori? I mean, if he keeps coming up with Twitter responses like that, then then it's possible. I didn't think that was a, that it was a transition he would be able to make, but that's a ten out of ten right there. I, I like that one. Uh, this matchup is is pretty great, man. I, I'm not gonna lie. I, this isn't one that I ever considered, but just the idea of it and what it could be when it comes to the lead up and how these guys would talk to each other and how they would kind of just both be saying nonsense that doesn't really make sense, but getting each other more angry with that nonsense. And then they kind of would, there's a language barrier too here. Like it, all of it is really kind of very, very interesting to me. Uh, I'm here for this. Let's do this. The trash talk, but both in their sec uh, being in English, being their second language is like, oh yes, I love it so much. But I think they wouldn't even understand what each other's saying and they would just get more 
like rage fueled off each other's rage because they would know that somebody's saying something insulting to them and so it's it's like i don't know what you said but but i don't don't appreciate it it. (laughs) we kind of just keep bouncing back and forth i'm so here for that let's do that well i was i on the on the official weigh-in show uh mike heck and ak were like oh that was a travesty of a of a press conference and i was like the most recent one with Marvin and Israel Adesanya, I was like, hell no. <laughs> if you were inside that, uh, that, 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 that venue, the down, I don't remember what it's called now. It used to be the Comerica theater. Um, it was just chaos and I couldn't hear anything. They were yelling at each other. I just saw two men screaming. If they do a press, if they do media, I need Paolo and Marvin Tori on stage together at some point yelling at yeah. each other. I don't want their first interaction to be a stare down. I need them in the same room talking all that greasiness but i'm hundred i also like how paulo i mean marvin lost and already had a name like right away he's like i want to fight paulo next i love that i don't want to like oh i'm gonna take some time off this and that nope i want paulo next let's get back into it i love everything about this fight and i hope it's i hope it's next and i hope paulo and dana can sort something out so we can see this the, these two uh middleweights fight next i i absolutely despise the ultimate fighter Except if Paula Costa and oh my God. Marvin Vittori can be the coaches. And they don't even need fighters. Just two coaches of no fighters. I don't even care about the other whatever people on this show. Just, so, so just, they're just them, they, hold on, hold on. They just have, have to be idea. roommates. Just put them in the house together and like, <laughs> that's all. I have an idea here. This is how you fix the ultimate fighter. This is the brilliant idea right here. Okay. You get Paula Costa. You get Marvin Vittori. Case, you're totally right. No fighters at all you just put them you, they have to live in the house they have to yes. live in the ultimate fighter house together and every day we do coaches challenges that's it there's that's that is the whole show it's just coaches challenges one day we're playing table tennis one day we're, we're do, running the hurdles one day we're doing shot put whatever i just need to see these two in an in a enclosed environment bouncing off of each other talking trash that neither one understands getting super upset getting super competitive and just doing the silliest obstacle courses and and pogs or pokemon cards like whatever draw bring out the weird hobbies like let's just get them in competitions every day against each other episode four costa versus vittori sellers of Catan. you know Oh I my. wish. Dude, see, okay, the problem with the Ultimate Fighter is actual fighting. We don't need the fighting part. We just need two angry dudes in a house and then and competing against each other and everything. Oh, that's it. that's it. We we ha- we you, have man. enough. I love you. <laughs> Thank you. I love you too, Casey. I love you too. We have enough fights. We have enough fighting. Yeah, like, we- let's just use the Ultimate Fighter as a way to promote people's personalities more and market them more, right? And who who tell me who wouldn't watch this? Who's not in on this? Because I'm I- in on this. I wish Marvin had a weird coach like Paulo Costa's Captain Eric, because then you can add a wild card into that situation, like two just oh. goofy, over the top coaches. Because no, no, Rafael Cordero is hey, yeah, pretty bring even in a second. Just bring in one second. For, for Everybody Vittori, gets one for second. Vittori bring in uh, Sean Strickland. They they they, they, oh they train together. Oh my god, that would be a nightmare. I just discovered Sean Strickland's Instagram <sighs> and it rules. By the way. <laughs> Uh, I was like, I, I was on the fence about Sean Strickland. I was like, okay, now I'm all in. That guy's crazy. I love him. <laughs> uh, all right, we're good. Roll, roll the credits. Yeah, yeah it's the show. We, we we fixed the Ultimate Fighter. What more can we do here? That's it. That was the A side. Thanks for coming, everybody. All right. <laughs> Thank you for the question, Waves. Thank you. Yeah, so that fight rules. Make it happen. And um, Costa is the baby face. All right. Wow, this is a long one. All right, from Tristan Gordet on the on the MMA Fighting site, 
You think Lauren Murphy will be Valentina's toughest challenge yet? Lauren thinks she can expose holes in Valentina's game, as she said in her interviews with Mike Heck, and believes that Valentina has never fought anyone as tough as her before. I know it's the fight game and anything can happen, but as Lauren... Has Lauren even shown any indication during her win streak that makes you believe that she can she can go out there and present problems against Valentina? Many people thought Jessica Andrade would be the present would present problems as well, but look how that turned out. So yes, uh, we'll use this as another way to set up this fight. Lauren Murphy beat Joanne Calderwood, JoJo Calderwood at UFC 263 in Glendale. I saw a lot of people saying uh, Joanne Calderwood won, uh, or it was a controversial decision. I'm not going to lie. I was interviewing some fighters backstage, so I missed two of the three rounds. So I have no – I don't know if it's, a, if it's a bad call or not. I'll let you guys uh, inform me. Uh, but that's five or six in a row for Lauren Murphy. She's being pretty much everyone put in front of her. Uh, she's the only one in the top five, I believe, that hasn't fought Valentina. So she should be next. Even Valentina, after her win over Jessica Andrade, uh, said she's going to be watching this fight. But then, of course, Dana White – was like, oh, we're not going to make anything official yet. Lauren Murphy herself said in media day that she needs to go out there and have an impressive performance to get the shot. She can't go out there and stare at JoJo for three rounds, pick up a decision win, and then get the title shot. I don't know if that's how the fight played out because, again, I missed two of the three rounds. I can't remember who was talking but uh, backstage, but I missed a chunk of it. So, Sean, I'll start with you. I'll ask two questions. A, did you score this fight for Lauren Murphy? And B, should she get the next shot at Valentina Shevchenko? Well, it's funny because I was actually backstage right next to you. So I was also interviewing <laughs> fighters and doing that sort of thing. Uh, but I, I, I tried to catch most of it because this was a very important fight for the card. And I, I scored it for Lauren. Uh, it was obviously very, very close. It felt like it could you could go either way on this 29-28 either way. I did give it to Lauren, though. And honestly, man, she deserves it. I, I, I think it's very typical, Dana, that he obviously – wouldn't wouldn't say that on fight night he's he's got a lot going on but it, it, there's nobody else in the division there, there isn't really an option at this point and maybe it's not you know the the matchup that lights you know the, the division on fire or, or headlines a pay-per-view but it, it's the matchup that needs to happen and ultimately sometimes we just need to get through these type of fights there's no one at left at, at 125 that's going to be anything less than a 15 to 1 dog or like a 13 to 1 dog against Valentina Shevchenko this is kind of the reality that we're dealing with right now unless we can get some new new blood in this division and Lauren Murphy has earned it man like she really has like I am incredibly impressed with what Lauren Murphy has done in this turnaround that she's had over the last couple of years. She's someone who started her UFC career, uh, what, like two and four, two and yeah. five, two, two and four, I believe. And ever since then, she's totally turned it around five straight wins. And she's the underdog in almost all of these different wins. And it's just so impressive to see someone this late in their career really gritted out and kind of have this magical late chapter. I'm just happy, if nothing else, that she's going to get a big spot and a big payday before she's able to call it quits on her career. Uh, I don't know that I would go out and pick her to win this fight, obviously, but I think she's earned it, and I, I, I think it's a good matchup. Casey, is there any other fight for Lauren Murphy to take next? I can think of one, and it's a big maybe, but is there any other fight for Lauren Murphy after that, unless it's Valentina? Um, there's no reason she should take another fight. Um, I, I just... I, I, the whole kind of premise, I've, I've seen this a lot, this out there. Oh, you know, Lauren Murphy's going to get smashed with Valentina, whatever, blah, blah, blah. She wants to fight Valentina, blah, blah, You know, it's like, I don't care. It's like, it doesn't matter. The champ, is, the champ is the best for a reason. That's why they're the champ. Everyone should be an underdog fighting the champ. So that's, I mean, I don't, just because you're going to get yeah. ass kicked by the champ. Lauren Murphy has earned 
her opportunity to get her ass kicked by Valentina Shevchenko. It is an honor to get your ass kicked by Valentina Shevchenko. That's that's what you do in this sport. You you work your way up to get eventually beat up by Valentin, Valentina Shevchenko. That's how it works. I don't understand that like, she's not ready. She's a more contender. She has earned this spot. Um, did she? Uh, sorry, what was the actual question? I was just she's, she's no, you're, you're totally right. She's yeah. 37. Like she's not ready. She's never. She's I, I, more I, I, ready I, I, now than she's ever going to be. Like is Valentina Shevchenko just not supposed to fight until we find somebody exactly. who can potentially yeah, like, okay. maybe beat yeah. her? Like this is just how it happens. DJ was out here. This is how DJ racked up the most title defenses yeah. in UFC history. Like you just give the next person in line the opportunity, and maybe sometimes you'll get a TJ Dillashaw head and brow. Out of it, exactly. that, that you're like, oh my god, we didn't don't, see yeah, this coming. Nobody's ready till they are. I don't know. I don't know how to say it. Like, Chris Weidman wasn't ready for Anderson Silva, you know. Then he won. You know, Holly Holm wasn't ready for Ronda Rousey. Then she won. Doesn't I mean I can. You can. You can do this over and over forever. But um, yeah, I just think it's uh, as, uh, that at least that premise. But the um, there's just it, literally there. There literally is no other option. Like, here, here is the top five right here. Jessica Andrade, Caitlin Chukagian, Lauren Murphy, Jennifer Maya, and Valentina Shevchenko, obviously. Like, everybody else has fought. Lauren Murphy is the person. She, There's no one left. Would, we can't, there's would, no other options. Would anyone be surprised if the UFC booked her to welcome Tatiana Suarez to the flyweight division? I would be disappointed. I, if the UFC I would be disappointed, but I wouldn't be surprised. I wouldn't. Because Tatiana's already said I, I get I, I I want like Lauren should fight Valentina next. I 100 percent agree with that. But Tatiana Suarez has said she she wants to come come back at 125. Uh, everyone kind of assumed it would be against Kyle Chukagan because she's been kind of the one to welcome uh, the 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 strawweights coming up to flyweight. But if Dana White for whatever reason doesn't want Lauren Murphy to fight Valentina next, and he wants Tatiana Suarez to fight her next because he wants her. He he views her as a way to, a more marketable fighter. Give her the number one contender, and if if Lauren Murphy beats Tatiana, then give her Valentina. If Tatiana beats Lauren Murphy, then give her Valentina. Valentina, whatever. You, Don't think it should happen, but I wouldn't be surprised. I'll tell you why it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen because the UFC needs title fights, and right mm-hmm. now they, if, every Valentina title fight is at least a title fight on the card that they can throw up there. They're not going to just sit around with Valentina. Like she's ready to go. She's ready to go fight. If if she wants to get on a card, they're going to just throw her against whoever the best possible option is. And right now, that's Lauren Murphy. They're not going to wait. You know, hey Valentina, I, we're going to have a contender for you in in five months. Just chill out for a second. Like that's yeah, not yeah. how the UFC operates. They're just going to keep the train moving. And the Suarez thing, I don't think works either because we have the the injury possibility. Tatiana hasn't actually competed. So what, they build up this big fight and then Tatiana gets injured? You know, her neck goes out again and then they're back to Lauren Murphy again on short notice or or Mm -hmm. something. Um, To me, she ain't ready or whatever. Marvin Vittori wasn't ready for Israel Adesanya. Yeah, we didn't have an issue with the main eventing in Glendale last week. It was fine. Um, Yeah, Murphy's under a shot. I don't get it. It is what it is. Yeah, Yeah, it is what it is. She's earned it and... um, yeah, I don't, I don't, I, I, I mean, we can talk in who's going to win, blah, 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 this, blah, blah, that. You know, of course, Valentina's going to be the heavy favorite. But you know what? No one's rolled through. People have beaten no, Lauren Murphy, La- be- but no Lauren one's Mur- rolled through her. No one's rolled Lauren through Murphy, her. Lauren Murphy looks her opponents look real bad, and I think yeah. that's a skill in MMA. Yeah, and that's the, the, the kind of issue of Lauren Murphy is, like, in her fights, like, no one either, no one looks really good or really bad. It, it just kind of happened. Like, like JoJo didn't get exposed or didn't get, you know, didn't look great and robbed or anything. It's just, you know, we kind of come out 
feeling the same about him, essentially. Um, yeah. That's kind of the issue of Lauren Murphy. It's not her fault, but she just hasn't, you know, just, you know, like if she wouldn't have finished JoJo in 45 seconds on the ground and pound or whatever, are we, are, are, does our opinions change at all? It's just we're, we're in the same situation. You know, it's like someone has right. to fight Valentina. Lauren Murphy got the judge's decision, so she's next. Make it happen. Next question. Cool. Thank cool. you for the question, Tristan. Daniel Pompilio on Twitter. How about Aaron Pico killing it in, in Bellator? Looks like Coker is not trying to ruin him anymore. When will it be ready for the top five? And what do you think about Clarissa Shields' debut at PFL? So two questions. Aaron Pico, of course, emerged victorious. Uh, this most, It was Bellator 260, correct? That was the number on Friday. Yeah. Uh, how many wins in a row is that for Aaron Pico? That is four uh, in a row now. Four, five, yeah, That's four, four in a row since his most recent was his knockout loss to Borch, Borch right? Borch, Borch who, is, yeah. we, who in turn has emerged as one of the best featherweights on planet Earth. Yeah. Uh, so awesome. no, And then before that, it was a knockout loss to Henry Corrales, again, one, and who's now 135, if I remember correctly. Yeah. Hard-hitting guy, and Pico was winning that fight until yeah. he got well, punched in the face really hard. So, Casey, I'll start with you. Uh, what do you make of Aaron Pico's chances at a run at the title? Uh, I know that the title's kind of uh, up in the air right now with the uh, Pitbull-McKee fight that still has to happen, but what do you make of Aaron Pico's recent run in Bellator? Um, just listen to Aaron's interviews. He he kind of he lays it out pretty well. When he came into this sport, he was a great wrestler. He was a great striker, but he did not know how to fight mixed martial arts. That's all. I mean, that's about it. He took his losses. He learned from them. He actually, so after the Corrales loss, um, which I think was his, wind up being a second loss of his career. Yeah, second. Yeah. His first his first fight in Bellator was his first loss. Yeah, well, it, that was his first 145 loss. I'll, I'll, yeah. I'll go with that. And um, he, he changed management. He changed his, complete, he just, he completely moved from Southern California to um, Albuquerque. He got under the tutelage of Greg Jackson and Brandon Gibson. And um, it's just a perfect fit for him. And so, yeah, and everything those guys say about him, like, they tell me off the record, too, the same exact thing. Like, Aaron's the real deal. He works his ass off. He's freaking talented. He's a great athlete, and he loves mixed martial arts. And, um, yeah, and right now, um, and, and the, the, the second part of the question is, Coker not trying to kill, ruin him anymore. This actually goes back to Pico's management, which he did change. Now he's – he had a different manager before. I'm not sure who it was. Now he's under um, Ali. So um, I think Ali's handling him better now. And, um, yeah, but Pico wants those challenges. He, he called for Borch. And now, now he's having an issue with um, these guys not wanting to fight him. So um, Aaron Pico is just must-see TV. I don't know if he'll win the belt. Uh, I think he's that ta- I think he's talented enough to. Um, but uh, yeah, he's must see TV. I'm just I'm just excited to see him. If, if, he, if he fights anyone, I think everyone just has to see Aaron Pico fight. He's just just one of the most exciting featherweights in the world, without a doubt. Sean, uh, we were watching this while we were waiting for our COVID results on Friday. Uh, what did you make of Aaron Pico's performance at Bellator 260? It's impressive, man. It really is impressive what this kid has is. I, I hate to say kid too. I hate. I sound like Dana White when I do that. What this guy is, is turning into, man. I mean, he's 24. only twenty four. You can call me. He's twenty. Yeah. He's twenty four years old, though. That's the thing. Like he's been in our lives for for what, like four or five years yeah. at this point. Like we were hearing about him like six years ago, five years ago. Articles were being written about he was the greatest prospect of all time. Like that is a lot of baggage to come into the sport with and try to uphold that as you're as you're navigating your way in this brand new thing you've never done. 
he's really found himself, man. And, and like you mentioned, Casey, uh, uh, the, the the team that he's put around him now between his management and, and what's going on at Jackson Wink, it really feels as if he's sort of found his place in the sport, kind of found what's going to be most helpful for him, his processes and, and, and just the, the people around him seem to be very much uh, managing it in a way that – is more beneficial to a prospect rather than the way we saw it early on, where it's just like, hey, it's his first fight. Let's throw him in against Zach Freeman <laughs> on this huge spot. Like, at, that's not a great lightweight. Idea. Yeah, like, yeah. it was. there was a lot of mistakes at the beginning, but at this point, he is a monster, man. Like, you, you really, like, when you watched those fights, it feels as if the guy he is fighting is in omnipresent danger at all times of just being really brutally ended in, like, a ferocious highlight reel fashion. I'm here for it. I'm really excited about what he's turning into, and, and we're about to get this AJ McKee Pitbull fight uh, up in Bellator, which is one of my most anticipated fights of the year. Like for the featherweight title, like that is everything that you could possibly hope for for Bellator. Two homegrown products really meeting at the perfect moment. But Aaron Pico is very quietly laying in the background right here in this featherweight division. And if I don't know if he's ready for that, but I he's, I don't think he's very far off either. And the idea of Aaron Pico against either of those dudes is one that I hadn't allowed myself to really start entertaining up until this last one, Jose, when we were watching this last fight. Because it just oh, yeah. does feel as if he is starting to be a fully complete fighter, not not even approaching his final form, but at least approaching that level where he is starting to, to be able to take on these actual top-level guys in this sport. And it is very exciting to me. Yeah, if, a- if AJ beats Pitbull, I would imagine – AJ is going to want to fight for Pitbull's lightweight belt too, yeah. so he can become a champ champ. Uh, but Aaron Peak, AJ McKeever's Aaron Pico has a lot of storylines that would go into that. They they used to train together. Pico and AJ were like the golden children of Bellator for a long time. Coming up in uh, Antonio McKee's gym, uh, Pico left. Pico left, and uh, and Casey, remember when we went to that Bellator media day in uh, California? We were asking AJ about all the other featherweights. And he was kind of doing his thing, kind of talking all this greasiness. And then we brought up Pico, and he got real serious. He's like, that's my brother, but I'm not going to say anything right now. And he, you could tell he was holding a little back. Like maybe he seemed upset that Aaron, Aaron left. And then we asked Aaron if he wanted to go join the tournament. Because remember, AJ hurt his knee uh, and right before the pandemic. And the pandemic let him come back. And at that Dominus meeting, we brought, we brought up like, AJ, uh, Aaron, do you want to join the tournament? He's like... No, I don't. And then he started to ask specifically about AJ's knee. So there's a lot of storylines in there. Uh, But I'm not going to say no to Aaron Pico Pitbull either because that fight rules too. Yeah, I I personally don't feel uh, Pico and um, McKee will ever fight. Um, I think McKee will go up to 55. McKee's even insinuated his body's going to outgrow 45 and he'll go to 55 soon. And as much as I want to see that fight, I kind of don't want to see it because it kind of feels gross in a sense because it kind of feels like brothers fighting, you know, and well, that's like, uh, what was, uh, Sean, who's the, remember World Series of Fighting, um, uh, the Phoenix guy, Phoenix Jones, Phoenix Jones fought his brother. Yeah. That was all kinds yeah, of terrible. They're, they're kind of, that yeah. was all kinds of terrible. It kind of sound fun in theory, but when you see it, I don't know. For a big bag of money, it just feels weird. But um, well, they also they also had a lot of like family issues come to yeah. the surface leading up to that fight. We're this close to crowning an NBA champ, and with the action heating up on the court, it's even hotter at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code VOXMMA. That's code VOXMMA for new customers to get a no-sweat bet, up to $1,500 if your first bet doesn't hit. Only on DraftKings. 
The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or in West Virginia, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 and over, age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. One no-sweat bet per new customer. Issued as one bonus bet based on amount of initial losing bet. Bonus bets expire. 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligibility, wagering, and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Vacations can be tricky. You already know how to book flights and hotels, but now the only thing you're missing is, you know, the actual travel experience. Because is it really a vacation if you're just sitting around like you would at home? You need a tool to get the most out of your time away. That's where Viator steps in. You can book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who already been on the experiences you're considering, so you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected, and 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Which no one needed. Anyway, uh, the second part of the question, what did you guys make of Cliff Shields' debut in PFL? Sean, I'll start with you. Uh, I, I was conflicted because obviously it was super impressive. Just the, the, bear, the, the base fact of what she was able to do, I think, was incredibly impressive, right? Like you're going into your MMA debut, somebody something you've never done. For some reason, you're facing a brown belt in jiu-jitsu who, who's primarily a grappler, like a long, rangy person, too, who can kind of keep you at bay with front kicks a little bit. It was a very weird matchmaking, and that was, I guess, maybe where I didn't enjoy that aspect of it because to me, like, I'm, I'm, I'm a guy who grew up in Pride, right? Like, I, I grew up watching the Pride style of matchmaking, and if this was Pride, you throw her in with, like, an overweight pro wrestler or, like, this <laughs> half-retired kickboxer, and she comes in, destroys the woman, and you have this highlight reel that you can just put on over and over again, and, and she looks like a monster. And that's the way you, you you do the MMA debut, and everybody comes away from it really impressed. That obviously wasn't this, but it was still really impressive to just see her really just grit this out and, and pull off this come-from-behind win. Um, it, it felt like poor Brittany Elkin was, was really fading uh, really hard and feeling the stress of the moment and the weight of the moment there in that third round. But I was incredibly impressed, man. I mean, Clarissa Shields is, is still very far off from being any sort of a finished product. And uh, the idea that, that Dana White was toying with a, a year or two ago about throwing her in there with Amanda Nudas, I'm, I'm actually very glad now that that didn't come to fruition because that would have – that wouldn't have been good for anybody except for Amanda Nunes. Uh, but it, but it, she's impressive, man. She is really impressive. I don't know that she's going to be able to have time and the dedication to really make a true, true run of it here in MMA and, and really become who she would have been if she had committed only to MMA. But I'm, I'm really interested to see how far she can take this and how far she wants to take this. Because that was, I mean, you can't, you can't knock what she did in her debut. That was really, really impressive. Yeah, I'm glad you brought up the I don't know if she's going to have time because how long has she been at Jackson's? Like a couple like a while now, right? Like no, training no, MMA? No, less than six. Not months. a while, not a long time, but yeah. like 
just months, just yeah, months. But she's, but she's, months, yeah. she's had a, she's had a boxing match during her time at Jackson's, yeah. right? Like yeah. in the middle of training for MMA. Yeah. So if she's trying to do both, it's going to be hard for her to. No, she's doing the Izzy. She's actually doing the Izzy. I understand. I understand. It, it, I understand. Izzy, was, Izzy was a high level kickboxer. I know. I understand. Training MMA on the DL. I, I, so I understand. But Izzy wasn't also all of a sudden thrown into like this prime time spot in ESPN for for his debut. Yeah, um, Izzy was able to lay low. Like we're going to be hyper analyzing every yeah, step. Yeah, she takes. That's yes, and Cl- Clarissa to her. And I like this. What one of her phrases where uh, she could quit boxing. She said for like a whole year, she could take a whole year. off. I can't remember who she said this to, but she, I, I saw the clip. She could take a whole year off of just training and still go in there and beat everyone at, at women, in, in her division of women's boxing. She said that's how much better she is at boxing. So I think she is going to jump into MMA a little bit more. But it was a weird it was a weird fight for me because uh, I think uh, her opponent, who was a brown belt, had like her arm at one point. She had double grips at one point. Like if she just kind of hit the Kumar, she could have probably got that. But weird fight. But we saw a lot from Clarissa Shields. Casey, what are your thoughts? I'm going to disagree big time with Shaheen. Um, you said that was a weird matchup. I completely disagree. That was that was she was a handpicked opponent on purpose because I've known Greg Jackson for a while. If if they would have say picked oh let's pick another boxer going into MMA and say Clarissa Shields knocks her out in fifteen seconds thirty seconds from Greg's point of view from the coach's point of view that means they learn zero from that they get that means Clarissa actually gets no experience she goes okay I just got I just did a boxing match with small gloves by facing this opponent now she now she's faced now she kind of has she felt the the pressure main event but an opponent that would give her a hard time and she, but somehow she would have to fight through and win the fight. She, one of Greg's golden rules is, uh, where he coaches be comfortable being uncomfortable. And that's what I saw in Clarissa Shields. When she was put in bad positions, she, she did not freak out. She did not just like hump and like, like try to buck out and use, and use all her energy and just burn her arms out in the first 30 seconds, which, which, you know, essentially every white belt does. She didn't fight like a white belt. She fought like, um, she, she fought like, she fought like an experienced white belt in the sense that she didn't <laughs> a have a couple stripes. Take, she got a couple, a couple stripes. Yeah, two, a two sharp white belt in, in the sense that she didn't burn herself out, but she also recognized that, okay, I'm in a bad position. It's okay. I'm in a bad position. It's okay. And that's like, that's such a giant, such a giant thing for a fighter to learn. So from the coach's point of view, from Shield's point of view, while, yeah, you didn't get that 10 second highlight knockout, I think you got something so much better for the long term of a career. And also, look back and just in fighters' careers in general, the great fighters, their first fights I'm, I'm probably weren't that impressive. Either they knock him out in thirty seconds, but you don't just learn. Dude, DC's first fight when he um, he fought this he, uh, he his first fight was televised on Showtime. I think for uh, Strike Force on a, a a Show XC fight. Oh yeah, he fought he oh, yeah. fought some rando dude um, like a like a three zero heavyweight, and it was an ugly fifteen minutes. And I remember watching. It was like, all right, and then but that but that but he needed that. So I thought I thought it was a great performance. I thought it was a great debut. And while it wasn't the you no know, big knockout we were hoping for, I think we got something better. That's all. I don't know. I don't know what you're talking about with DC because he fought Gary Frazier and he ended up destroying the dude in like eight minutes. And it was no, super. Did, did he it finish, was super oh, did he ugly. Finish Gary Fra- okay, maybe he finished him. Yeah. But yeah, he was super super ugly because I remember I did this big thing on DC. It was ugly though. It was ugly. It wasn't, it, you didn't yeah, go. Oh, DC. That's Frazier one of the greatest fighters ever. You weren't thinking that. You were like, okay. No. 
<laughs> no, yeah. no, it was a very ugly, ugly fight. I, and I totally understand where you're coming from on this, Casey, and I actually appreciate and, and agree with a lot of what you're saying. I just think for the the debut, like for the second fight, I would, I would, this would have been a perfect second fight to me. Like for the debut, I think you just get somebody out there and you get the highlight and you get the confidence just rolling of like, okay, we're doing this, this is working. And then we can sort of start navigating the problems and, and the holes and things like that. I just think for the first fight with everybody tuning in, it's such a big deal. It, you, you play, you took a risk. You took a huge risk. Like if you did this fight 10 times, she might've lost five of them. And that, that would have been a really, at least if you're PFL, that's a nightmare scenario, right? Like you really went all, all in on this. Uh, but, but they avoided it. And I, ultimately, I think everybody comes out of it looking good. So you can't complain about it. You definitely saw her white belt, as Casey said, on display. When I think her opponent got full mount and Clarissa was trying to box off of her back a few times. And, it, and then, but then, but then like she snapped out of it immediately. Like it was just like it's instinct. That- and then like yeah. and then she like calms down yeah. and then but there were like you could definitely tell she's she got a lot to learn but a win is a win uh and she came back and won so kudos to her and coming back um, from adversity is a big freaking thing in the sport coming yeah, back from adversity yeah mm-hmm. so i've always said that like yeah and we, we know a fighter can kick someone's ass but can once they're once they're kind of behind how can how do they do yeah yeah, yeah. You know, let's pump Clarissa Let's Shields could have very room. easily she could she could have very easily given up on herself in that third round and been like, man, this was a terrible idea, and I'm looking awful yeah. on t- on national television right now. But she didn't. She she's a champion. She's a two time freaking gold medalist. Like she's got it in her that none of us have in, inside of us. So and she, has, has, uh, and she had that Brandon Moreno type joy when she won her debut. Yeah. <laughs> and I and I thought that was just that's just as a fan that just feels good to watch. That's all. Yeah, you know, yeah. Just, it does. Fans in my Twitter mentions, let's pump the brakes on Clarissa Shields versus Kayla Harrison. That's not yeah, happening anytime soon. No, I'm just talking about Asian. people. Were, I tweeted Asian. about it. People, people Asian. were tweeting at me. I'm like, I don't want to see that at any point in the next 12 months. Anyway, yeah. uh, thank you for the question. Back to back, non UFC questions from yeah. Daniel Pompilio. Right. Do do do. MMA. What's from Azan Zaman on the site? What's next for Chase Hooper? Every fight looks like a tough fight for him. Jose, tell us an Arizona Mazzagatti story. The Arizona crowd was oh horrible. My God. So I'm going to start with this. I don't think the Arizona crowd was – like they booed. Like I was disappointed a few times, but I don't think they were horrible. Okay. Uh, definitely I'm – not, not, I'm jumping it. Okay. We're both Arizona guys. We both have yeah. grown up in Arizona. We can acknowledge when Arizona sucks more so than anybody else. No, in the I agree. Media, so right? like, I was I, I was gonna bring up. Remember when the UFC card was in Phoenix for Kane, for Kane Francis? That was a horrible crowd because they were doing the wave like during the Cynthia Calvillo Courtney Casey fight. Like <laughs> that was a horrible. crowd. I like that the wave is your barometer for a horrible crowd. Like, it is the first thing that pops in your head is they were if doing not, the wave and you if can't do the wave. If you're uh, doing no, the wave, if you're doing the wave during a fist no. fight nothing's happening in the fist fight and it's just no. but i think this i think terrible, that crowd was more horrible i think that this the, was, Air, the phoenix crowd was more horrible than the glendale crowd this was an atrocious crowd i could say that because i live here it was one of the worst crowds it, it was the worst crowd we've seen in the the post pandemic sort of comeback that we've been doing here by far and, and considering the places they've gone that I'm, I'm ashamed to be able to say that uh, let's just say that. You, like, how's Florida beating you out, guys? You, if you're in here booing every single second that that somebody's hitting the ground, you're you're out here booing Damian Maya in his retirement fight, essentially from the UFC for no reason, just because he's doing Damian Maya stuff. Like, come on, guys, come on. 
You have to be better than that. Everybody is watching you just be crappy from the first fight on. Like it was, it was instant. I don't, I don't remember what which fight it was, but it was one of the early fights where just like stuff was kind of stalled for like a couple seconds, and it was just like at that point on, the boo birds were out in full force for the rest of the event. It's just like guys, groundwork is is part of the the game. Like what are we doing? We're not even booing boring groundwork. We're just booing all groundwork at this point. It was terrible. It was terrible, and the fact that you can't admit that, Jose, shows me that you're just. Uh, <laughs> You're just a little too biased, my friend. Well, here's the thing. I was going to say at the end of my my ramblings, I went out. I was out in the, the lower bowl for the first fight because there was no one backstage interview. And then the last three fights, the only and everything else, I was backstage. So if you were out earlier than me, you got a def, you definitely got a better sense of the crowd than me because I was out there for Diaz, Leon Edwards, which was pretty raucous at times. Uh, the Brandon Moreno fight, which I couldn't hear myself after that fight ended, and that then was the, a, that, the and crowd, then the, the, the and then the is, really, so I was there for I was there for the three big fights. After, other than that, I was backstage. So I will defer to you for the crowd thing. But when I what I saw wasn't as bad. Um, I will say the crowd was incredible for Moreno because they were behind 100%. Moreno all all week. The, there's a huge Mexican you know population yeah. here in Arizona and there was a, a huge like the, the the amount of support that was there for Brandon Moreno that night was unreal there were Mexican flags all over the place and when he won we said it on the post fight show but that truly felt like a magical moment like that's a moment I am not gonna ever no. ever forget like I have been in the arena for a lot of different fights and a lot of different crazy outcomes but there are very few moments you could count them on a couple of hands where it's just like, I will remember that for the rest of my life. And that was definitely one of them because that was just unreal. The emotion in that arena was crazy. It was the the very first fight of the night between Felipe and Collier. I didn't think that ba- that was that bad of a fight. I thought it was just kind of two heavyweights just throwing punches at each other for 15 I, minutes. I, 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 was, I, was enter- I was entertained. And the crowd in the lower bowl was, was very much into it. But there was one fan who was louder than all of the other fans. And the second it got past the three minutes, I could tell that he bet that this fight would end in under three minutes because he yelled boring at the top of his lungs for two and a half rounds. And then a bunch of, and then a bunch of his, of, of other fans, not with him all tried to fight him because this fight ruled. And this guy was yelling boring and a bunch of people went and confronted this rude fan so i had three epic crowds and then a bunch of fans defending bad heavyweight mma so it was a weird scene but anyway uh sean do you have any arizona mazagati stories you want to share oh my god this guy so we're we're talking about the ref that did the hill craig fight right yeah so his name is al guinea um He's been in, I don't know how many regional shows you used to go to back in the a day, lot. Jose. Like a lot of Rage in the Cage and stuff. I, I went to a lot of those shows. Like growing up, I just loved MMA and there was a ton of promotions around, in particular Rage in the Cage. So I would always just go to these Rage in the Cage shows. Al Guinea has been an Arizona referee for a long, long time. And the first time I ever saw him referee a regional show, um, I can't remember the exact situation. I can't remember the exact fight and, and circumstance of what happened. So I don't I'm not going to say something because I don't want it to be incorrect. But I just remember that he really badly screwed up something to where it was just like you're in the crowd, you're watching. You're like, dude, that's the most obvious thing. Like, how did you mess that up? And it's a show that eight people are at. and No one's paying attention to and everyone's drinking. So it's like it's easy to, to lose and, and you, it, go, it leaves your mind. But I can't at this point count the number of times I've seen that guy just make simple, ridiculous mistakes on these regional shows. It's 
a lot. It's it's more than two hands. Like I've, I could I could count it on more than two hands, and yet every single time that a big event or a big promotion comes to Arizona, somehow he finds his way onto these assignments and he gets sometimes some of the biggest assignments. And I was going through my Twitter history because I was like, I'm sure that I've sent this tweet before of like Al Guinea is a local because like every time this happens, people turn to like people like me and you, Jose, where it's like it's mm-hmm. Arizona. What, what's going on with this guy? And I was like, <laughs> I'm sure that I've sent a tweet out before of like, oh, this is Al Guinea. He's a local. He's not very good. And literally, there was like at least one or two different tweets that were basically the exact same tweet that I sent out on Saturday that I had sent out like years ago, like a couple of years ago and then a couple of years before that. It's just like it's a consistent thing that happens every couple of years is, is the big shows come to this place. Al Guinea gets a fight. Al Guinea messes up a fight. And then everybody's like, oh, why was that guy out there? Uh, I don't understand how this keeps happening. The fact that that one was as bad as it was, uh, like I've never seen an arm do that. Um, and then the fight just kept going for like another, what, 10, 15 seconds after the arms kind of just flopping around, like how getting supposed to be a black belt. I don't really know how you screw that up. Uh, regardless, I, I, I wish that the Arizona commission would not put these local referees on these shows. That's all I ask. Like just bring in the big guys like most other commissions do. It doesn't make sense that you just decide that, hey, this is our chance to give this guy some run. It's not. It's not your chance to give this guy some run. Make us look good for the rest of the world, please. Make us look good by take, making sure no one from here is actually responsible for anything <laughs> for going on. I even remember when we would go to those World Series of Fighting shows, Sean, and he would be like part of the – the World Series of Fighting, you're like, oh, crap. Something's, something terrible is about to happen right now. But, yeah, uh, Arizona Monsagati is a funny nickname. Can I well. can I defend – what's his name? Ray Guinea? What's his – Al Guinea. Oh, Ray, Ray Jennings. <laughs> Ray Jennings. Oh, I got to defend Ray Jennings here. Um, I'll say this. It was a, it was a weird, weird non-stoppage, but there has to be some responsibility on Jamal Hill too. It's like – he, I mean, because because the way the rules are set. So say if um, um, Mr. Guinea sees what's going on, but he sees that um, Jamal Hill is still fighting his way out and stuff. The problem is if he stops that fight, go, hey man, there's something wrong with your arm, and it turns out that it just turns out there's something not wrong with his arm. It just turns out, well, you know, it's just I'm just swinging crazy. <laughs> then the fight's over, though. I'm just saying the fight's over. There's no, like, let me check on it. Okay, we continue. That's what I'm saying. Like, so sure. I, I, that, that, that's, and we would hate that. We would hate for that to happen. Then we'd go like, oh, Ray, 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 Jenny, Ray, Jenny. <laughs> Al Guinea, you know, he sucks as a ref. I can't believe he stopped that fight on an early stoppage because we've seen that before. You know, refs think the guys are, the guys are out and it turns out, no, this is how you, I'm just relaxing because, you know, I'm just in a submission. I'm the, the, the choke's not in. I think, uh, what's his name? Chas Skelly was a kind of a, uh, classic example of that. So I, I want to mm-hmm. give um, the ref a little bit of a leeway in, in that sense. And, and also in Jamal Hill, he, if if his arm is broken or dislocated, that's on him. He needs it. He has another arm. He can quit fighting. You know, he can tap out. So I'll just say that. And, and, um, and that's and that's totally fair. That is yeah. absolutely fair. Everyone makes mistakes. That's a incredibly difficult job. I couldn't do that job. I would never act like I could do that job. But it, I think it's just more of like. 
a long time. He's had it's, a history. It's, yeah, it's like you like, had a, a lot of moments yeah. here. If this was an isolated incident, Ray Jennings, where it's yeah. just like Ray Jennings. This is the only times <laughs> this is the only time that Ray has ever screwed up. Right. Then like, okay, like we can we can just move on with this. But Ray Jennings has consistently screwed up his entire time I've ever like the 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 hit percentage on Ray Jennings fights that I've watched refereed where he screws up is like seventy five percent. And at that point, it's just like if I'm expecting you to mess up. And you and like I can come away from a fight like, oh, wow, I can't believe Ray didn't mess up that fight. Like, that's not a place we need to be with the referee. We shouldn't be surprised that you did your job. OK, that's all. I'm the, saying. Ne- the next time Algini fights, it's I mean, refs, he has a he has he has a fake mustache on and he's like, this is Ray. I'm Ray Jennings reporting reporting for work. <laughs> anyway, the first question, Mr. Zaman asked, what's next for Chase Hooper? Casey, that's a good song. Casey, go for it. Well, he's only on a one fight losing streak. Um, the fight was competitive. He's 21 years old. His you opponent missed weight. Your, your opponent missed weight. You booked Chase Hooper against the worst featherweight you have. That's all. He just whatever whatever number 30 is in the UFC rankings. You have Chase Hooper fight number 35. That's all. And, or you um, or or you bring somebody in, to be honest, like you, or, you bring somebody else in to 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 who is that guy? Right. Who is the number thirty five? Because I'll tell you what, or, Jose. Or, you know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You, I know what you're saying. Like, but Jose, you I think you would agree with me. Like, I was stunned how much how oh, big my pop it was super was getting all week. It like, was it was nuts. Like I thought when he, he was getting treated like a star, like when he, he came like, out for way loved him. When he came out for Wayans and I heard the crowd, I had some in my mind. I'm like, is he from? I know he's not from Arizona. Do you have ties to this place? Because he was treated. He had after Nate and Izzy and Brandon Moreno, Chase Hooper had the biggest pop. And I and I had to like research easy. why. And I couldn't figure out why outside of he's just a popular fighter. Yeah, he's just over with the fan base to use a, a pro wrestling parlance, like at least to a degree that I didn't expect. Like that, that was, yeah. So uh, normally I, I would say, you know, you're, you're kind of in a situation where you're just in the UFC, you're stuck. You kind of have to sink or swim here, but he does have some heat behind him and he does he seem to have a following. So if I'm the UFC, I'm trying to nurture that a little bit. I'm trying to bring in guys that maybe there'll be competitive fights, but Chase can beat him because he is a flawed fighter right now. Of course. He's very, very young. 21. He's very extraordinarily young. He Dude, probably shouldn't he did, even be in the he UFC. He did an interview with Mike Heck and he said, he, he goes, well, I might have to go to 55 once I get through puberty. The dude's still in puberty. I mean, he's joking around. I know, but, but I don't know. I mean, I mean, I'm just – if you're the UFC, you kind of have something here. and So you have to nurture it a little bit. It's, it's going to take time. Like it's, I don't think we're talking about Chase Hooper being a fully even coming close to a complete fighter for three years, right? Like in three years, he's going to be Aaron Pico's age. And we're still talking about Aaron Pico like he's still a work in progress. So it's just – it's going to be a while. I don't know how they're going to have this many guys to to give him competitive fights in the meantime. But that's kind of the move you have to do because he does have some genuine popularity and heat and following behind him. That that at least surprised me. And Hooper's a – Hooper, I mean, for – despite his looks – the dude's a fighter. He he takes a beating yeah. and he fights through. He fight. He get, he goes through adversity. He doesn't get he hit the first shot. Oh, I can't get the hill hook. Oh, this sucks. I quit. That's not him. He is a fighter. He is a tough dude. He's twenty one. And since he's not like a natural athlete, he's not gonna. 
he has to win fights on actual technical skill, and he's only 21. It takes years, years to develop all that technical skill if you don't just have that natural, crazy athleticism. He just doesn't, you know? But um, it, just I will time, say, yeah. My, my biggest worry goes exactly to what you just said. He, he kind of is winning fights on toughness right now. Which and, is, and yeah. that is not a good that's not a good quality when you're 30 and that's an even worse quality when you're 21. Like if you're consistently going to just, if every fight's going to kind of follow a rhythm of I'm going to get the shit kicked out of me until somebody gets tired and then I can kind of Homer Simpson them on the ground. Like, man, that's not what you should be doing when you're 21 and 22. Like that's going to add up fast. Like that's how you get to, to sort of those Rory McDonald Shogun age where you're like 30, but you kind of look like you're 39, that type of thing. Like, I don't know, man. I, yeah. I really hope that he can avoid that sort of road and path for his career because that's not good for anybody. And you you brought up, Casey, that he's, it's only a one-fight win streak. I mean, one-fight losing streak. He was about two minutes away from losing to Peter Barrett before he got that heel hook on. Because that was the fight. Do you remember Joe Rogan for two rounds said Chase Hooper shouldn't, doesn't belong in the UFC? And then he got that heel hook three minutes into the final round. And then we brought up Dana White. And Dana was like, yeah, he's just a tough kid. And I was like, that's toughness only gets so far also he fought ask Saris, who has what 30 something fights steve peterson also has 30 something fights they have more professional fights than chase hooper has years on this planet so maybe don't give him a veteran who has gone a lot of losses a lot of wins a lot of losses like as casey and i have said on the show a lot of times sometimes that just comes with experience like there's certain moments in a fight that's just an experience factor right there. So let's not let's give him someone that's you know. But I do not a my big worry about fight. Chase Hooper is is if he doesn't get matched up properly. Even if he loses fights, that's fine. But if he just takes horrible beatings in these losses, horrible beatings. By the time he's 23, 23, his mixed martial arts career, professional career, may be over, and that just sucks. Yeah. So you just got to yeah. be very because it's. This isn't like regular sports. So once you're kind of done, there's very rarely do you come back. You know, there's no fountain of youth you're finding. Yeah. Yeah. So just be very careful. Like I, this is when I wish we had more boxing type matchmaking where I would have Hooper face uh, bantamweights for the next five fights. You know, but I know UFC just doesn't do that. So that's their thing. Whatever. But, who is um, that? Who is that UFC fighter that has the? I think he has the New Mexico flag, Casey, and he's also super young, and he had like three UFC fights and yeah, like I seven months, name, yeah. and he's zero and three already. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, I don't want that to happen. I, 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 I think a, a name I think of right now is um, um, Larissa Pacheco or Pachenko, whatever Pacheco. She fights in B- uh, PFL right now, but she used to fight in the UFC at one thirty-five. But she signed when she was like 21, 22 years old, and she got like her butt handed to her by like um, Jermaine Durand or me, and, and I think she lost a couple of fights. So by the time she was twenty-three, her career was done. She fought in Brazil, and like four or five years later, now she's doing pretty well in PFL. Of course, you know, she has to run to Kayla Harrison again, but that's another issue. But she, yeah. she's a really good fighter who got her – it's just – be careful, Chase Uber. It's be tough. careful, UFC. Um, he's a really good fighter. I don't think he's a champ, but just be careful. It's, <laughs> it was, easy, uh, it's easy to get caught in the quicksand when you're kind of on this yeah. level this early. It was Jerome Rivera, Casey. He yeah. entered – he won the Contender Series. And then he fought Tyson Nam, Francisco Figueredo, who's Davidson Figueredo's brother, and then Ode Osborne in five months. He's 0-3. And he's 26 right now, and he has a new fight against on the Poirier-McGregor card. All right. So he could go 0-4 in 
less than a year into his UFC debut. Rough times. Okay, we're almost at hour, so let's just let's just kind of talk faster. I mean, I'll start blabbing. I'll start. I'll start. Stop blabbing so much. <laughs> Support for this show comes from Atlassian. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence, and Loom help power global collaboration for all teams, so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone. Because individually we're great, but together we're so much better. That's why millions of teams around the world, including 75% of the Fortune 500, trust Atlassian Software for everything from space exploration and green energy to delivering pizzas and podcasts. Whether you're a team of two, 200 or 2 million, or whether your team is around the corner or on another continent altogether, Atlassian Software is built to help keep you all on the same page from start to finish. That way, every one of your teams, from engineering and IT to marketing, HR and legal, can stay connected and move together as one towards shared company-wide goals. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com. That's A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com. Atlassian. Dan Harden. This question. Yeah. This isn't, a, this isn't a simple one either. <laughs> Don Harden. It seems on Twitter. It seems that Colby Chaos Covington is doing the rounds, accusing Poirier and Usman of some pretty serious things without proof. I'm all for trash talk, but what is the role of an MMA journalist? So, yes, Colby Covington's been doing a lot of interviews, including with our own Mike Heck. You can go watch that interview after uh, we're done with the A side right here. Uh, Sean, I don't know if you watched the interview uh, or saw the clips that are on our Twitter, but he accused, well, he basically brought to light that. Uh, He's the one that allegedly broke the story of Usman uh, talking around other managers, potentially leaving Ali. And then he also said that Usman is the quote-unquote, and this is Colby Covington's phrase, the quote-unquote CEO of EPO. And he's doing all the steroids down uh, in preparation for his camp. So, uh, But to answer this question specifically, what is the role of an MMA journalist during interviews like this? I haven't seen the actual interview, so it's hard for me to speak in context in, in that regard. So I, I guess I, maybe can, I can address just, what Colby's saying. Just, like just, I'm not just, yeah. more of it's just a generalization. You interview a fighter, the fighter says, "Oh, this fighter does this, this, this," and that's like borderline illegal stuff, you know, or you know, illegal in the sport, and maybe just uh, well, basically, Colby uh, accused Dustin of you know his his charity isn't real; it's a tax write off. It's not. This isn't the real guy that that charity's BS, you know, that type of stuff. See, it's weird, right? Because it, I think it's one thing if, if I'm interviewing, um, I don't know, Kelvin Gastelum and Kelvin Gastelum starts saying these type of things. I feel like someone like that comes with a certain level of credibility where it's just like, oh, well, that's not really like Kelvin's personality to just make up some stuff. And then I feel like that then that kind that's a different level of a conversation, a different a kind of approach than if it's just a guy like Colby. Because Colby's just chill. Like, they'll just throw stuff out there and see what sticks. Like, it's really difficult for me to to believe anything Colby says because that's just kind of the character and the persona that he's created. Like, he's just this guy who's going to come in and he's going to fire wild shots for 20 minutes during the interview. And half the things he's going to say are ridiculous and half are going to be exaggerated. And, and you know, like, I, it's weird with a guy like that where he is obviously playing a character to in in terms of policing the own the, the interview space like someone like that you kind of just give them the the runway and say hey go and then and afterwards you can kind of go back and parse through it because there is so much there but where do we draw the line though 
I mean, I've, I, I drew I the line the with I don't, I don't know the I drew the line with Colby a long time ago. I don't really enjoy much Colby content. I'll be honest; like it's uh, it's not my style of, of of how fight promotion goes. But I, I know that there are people who enjoy it. So certainly, uh, you know, I'm not going to tell them that they're wrong. Uh, it's just a personal preference type of thing. I th- I think back. You no, know, the difference between him and Chell is like there was always a sense of. Um, uh, humor with chell we know the whole carrot on the bus oh yeah it was always like yeah you you knew that was fake you knew it was like a story it was like a funny haha story you know but you never you you, but you didn't go wait a minute so exactly what how long was this stick chell how did this work you know know? oh well chell was pure pro wrestling that was all tongue-in-cheek like you could tell that his tongue was firmly planted in his cheek for for all of it colby's is much more mean-spirited that's what i mean i'm just gonna be as mean as possible like you're attacking you're attacking the guy's charity you know and just saying it's not real. He, you know. I mean, let's not forget about his ESPN interview split screen with Usman, where he said, "Go back to your tribe with smoke signals and stuff like that." Yeah, is just that's horrendous. That yeah. that's just yeah. horrendous talk right there. Um, but. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know, Mister Harden. That's a it's, because even like the drug stuff. You know, you like it. Is he accused of Vittoria of EP or, or of taking steroids? Uh, Vittoria accused Izzy of taking steroids. No, I mean that, that's professor. that's just a pretty common. I, I know. Trash so I, I feel like method. we consider in in the MMA world, we consider that just whatever. You don't like okay, sure, you know, but uh, yes, it's that line. <laughs> well, Vittoria was suspended for testing positive for a banned substance in the past. I think that's why Izzy was bringing that up. And then, remember, yeah, but uh, that case, that case was a lot no, more complex I, than one hundred. Like he was suspended. No, like he didn't actually do anything wrong when it comes. One hundred. We understand that, but I think in the eyes of fans that don't follow the USADA situation and everything, they just see drug suspension and they just jump to conclusions, which we all know happens. And then Israel Adesanya, of course, had the weird chest thing and everyone was pointing, his fellow fighters were saying steroids and we all know the situation, but I think that was just also two fighters playing up to the eyes of the fans, like throwing accusations out there. Um, That's different than what Colby Covington was doing. I will say I'll, I'll throw an addendum onto my answer before of what's the role in, of an, an MMA journalist. And I think in this regard, if you're going into an interview with Colby, it's essentially you know that it's you're kind of uh, you're doing some sort of performance art, right? You're doing some yeah. sort of act for everybody that that's kind of like, hey, this is going to be just a uh, fun depending on whether you enjoy that type of thing, 20 minutes where lots of stuff might just happen. The the role of the journalist, in my opinion, at that point after is after the fact, where if you are writing any of that up or you're putting any of it out there, you have to provide pr- proper context of like, hey, a lot of this isn't true, or hey, here's links to this and this and this of, of what he's saying, of why this maybe it might not be true, that type of thing. Like you have to provide the full scope of context to these guy, this guy's wild accusations and claims you can't just put them out there like hey he says this and then maybe it's true maybe it's not who knows i want to see someone especially like at a like do you remember in were you at you were at the june card this the oh man which card would the colby covington beat dos Anjos? i can't remember the exact yeah i know it's chicago i just can't remember the number um but that was when colby was doing the whole that was when colby's whole thing was uh the eagles that was the week the eagles said no to Uh, go into the white house and And, uh he kept bringing that up and then a reporter goes you know they're not kneeling to disrespect the flag they're kneeling for to protest police brutality and colby covington looked completely caught off guard by someone bringing 
like pushing back and not going with the stick and not going with the with his stick and then he goes like yeah well it's just disrespectful and then like that the journalist just goes oh he's just he doesn't believe anything he says and he just moved on they just moved on from that conversation so it's uh yeah but what sean said it's not for everyone it's not for me so take i don't take anything he says overly seriously and this is a good segue What's up from um, Daniel Pompilio? What's up with Adesanya humping Vittori, humping, costing, grabbing Vittori? Can something be done about it? Is there a rule against it, or can the UFC intervene? Uh, can something be done about it? Can something be done about it? Well, well, Daniel, what, we, what are you gonna? What do you want done about it? Well, Daniel, it's what, this what, is a, Casey. This, what's, what was it back in the day? What, what was the Randy Couture fight where Randy did this? I'm when he when he when Tito Ortiz got was threatening with a leg lock and Vittorio was like I mean uh, Couture was like good try good try and was just patting him on the butt because it was like a leg lock from the bottom and he goes yeah good try man and then Tito's corner was like he's tapping he's tapping and then, <laughs> <laughs> that's that's the Couture thing uh, but Daniel this is a sport where grown men strip down to their underwear and fist fight inside of a cage in front of 20,000 people I think there's there's worse things happening than Israel Adesanya kind of having a silly goose time inside the octagon Nate Diaz was freaking twerking in the cage so <laughs> Nate Diaz was Nate Diaz and Leon were throwing the finger at each other <laughs> Can you imagine if that Nate Diaz strategy had actually worked, though, where, like, we have an actual highlight out there where he's, like, doing that back that ass up bump, and then all of a sudden lands, like, his one-two, and, like, actually, like, that was how we got that crazy last minute was off of something like that? Like, he'd be even more legendary at that point. Like, Did I don't it? even know what I was watching. Derek Lewis tried that against JDS. He, like, doubled down, like, in pain from a body shot, and then Junior, like, runs in, and then Derek Lewis just, like, explodes and catches him off guard. So, yeah. Uh, but to answer this question specifically, I, there is no rule and nothing will be done about it, nor should it there be done about it unless someone goes really over the top. But if the so guy, other guy doesn't the like it, they're in the middle do of a fight. About they can it. probably, yeah, about it, yeah, they can do something about it. That, yeah. Can something be done about it? Yeah. Don't put yourself in position to get hung by Israel Adesanya in the middle of the <laughs> octagon on a pay-per-view. After That's you talk in tons of trash for a long, long time yeah, in a really yeah. deeply personal way. Yeah. After your after your manager said that, what did he say? That Israel Asana had the gay gene and needs to be researched by science. Mm. That's what that's what Paulo Costa's manager said. So yeah. Oh, Don't say God. that. <laughs> that's worse than what Izzy did. Anyway. Um, can the people ruled against it? Keep it I, I love Izzy gets stripped. <laughs> he gets he humped a fighter during a fight. Uh. <laughs> anyway, anyway, Rap, uh, do, 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 rapid do, 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 fire ones because we've, uh, we've know, gone a little uh, over. Let me let me go to the actually. I, I got some YouTube comments real quick. Uh, here we go. Oops. Oh, that's too small. <laughs> Jessica Crystal Crew, you guys look like cool dudes. Love the energy. <laughs> Good job, <laughs> Jessica. Just a cool guys. Jessica, send Sean some crystals. He needs. He needs to. I got mine right here still. Casey, and I'm, I know you have yours. Oh, yeah, I got my yeah. Everything's Sean right there. Sean, Sean, Sean I missed this whole thing. crystal era. I missed this yeah. whole crystal era. I, I well, have no actual concept of what the crystal era was and how magical well, it the, might have been. The, the, the crystal era started oh. when – Oh, my God. That's, is yeah. that a crystal? That's yeah, huge. It's, it's huge. Dude, the crystal council so heavy. Like, the crystal like council sent me <laughs> – the is it just like count? if you popped that open, it would be like... We don't know. I have no idea. I don't want to find out. I don't want to break it open. 
Um, but the Crystal Council sent us all these like crystals and, and sage and everything. Um, oh, it so started heavy. with it started during the Pizzi Carroll Jose Young's iteration of the A side when it was just us two. Uh, and Jared Kennedy had ju- just knocked out Jack Hermanson, I think, in Copenhagen. And Jared Kennedy was on the ESPN desk on ESPN. And Tyron Woodley goes, what's that around your neck? And Jared Kennedy pulled out his pyrite crystal and said it wards off negative energy and this and that on ESPN. And Pizzi was absolutely taken aback and had no idea things like that existed. And then a bunch of people tweeted at us about their crystals, including uh, UFC Bantamweight Brian Kelleher, Jessica right here. Um, Molly McCann uh, tweeted at us uh, and so on and so forth. So then it became a, a running thing. Jessica and various other people sent us crystals. We gave Brian Kelleher a crystal before his fight against Ode Osborne. He asked for one. If you watch the official weigh-ins, you can see Brian Kelleher yell something out to the crowd. He's yelling at me and Pizzi to give him a crystal. We gave him a tiger's eye crystal, which is supposed to bring monetary wealth. So if you watch the, the ceremonial weigh-ins, he gets on the scale and he holds his tiger's eye crystal that we gave him less than less than a couple hours after weighing in cloudy Gadelia alexa grasso gets pulled from the card brian keller her versus odi osborne was supposed to be on the fight pass prelims they get elevated to the main card and brian keller wins with that guillotine choke and gets fifty thousand dollar bonus so i'm not saying it was the crystal but it was 100 percent the crystal so now we have various other people calling in. We even interviewed Jerry Cannonier, and he brought us to his crystal room, which is just pyrite as far as the eye can see. Uh, we talked. Oh I God. chatted with him a little bit on Fight Island. He was doing like some ceremony thing inside the octagon on the beach where he would lay all his crystals in the sun and collect their, and their positive energy and this and that. So, yeah, there's been a lot of crystal talk. We even gave Pizzi <laughs> a crystal on when, when we did a preview show, and he went all in on it. So... It's been uh, it's been an interesting twelve months with the Crystal Crew, and uh, it was Jared Kennedy. Was we called him Captain Crystal for a long time, and then we and then his Twitter kind of became a little out of control for a bit uh, when he was you know tweeting a lot a lot of things about a lot of things. And I think <laughs> I think Jessica says Jairzinho is the new Captain Crystal because he wears the same crystal to every single card uh, that someone gave it to him. And I, he doesn't know what kind of crystal is because we, of course, Sean, as you know, journalism integrity, we did research on it and asked him about it. He doesn't know, but he said he would find out. And that, what is, a the, run. that is, yeah. So what a run Jessica, for the crystal crew. Jessica, send some crystals to Sean. He needs some right. on um, his mantle on the back. Couple more comments before we get out. Oh, of I'm here. Re- I'm redoing my whole studio. So yeah, I'll put some crystals. I, I got, oh, yeah. I got a whole sorts of new things coming. So we casey and i both got just there you go no man sons and four sons and four baby let's go let's go chris paul get back please (laughs) please i need you oh this is the year this is the this we're never gonna have another chance like this man like this is everything is breaking our way in the way that it never does in the way that it always does for other people and not for us we're watching it happen you can't do this to me chris paul come back please please believe me let's just let's pray for seven games between jazz and clippers and get all the time it needs to come back shaheen what okay you know all these like i i get i get on doyle dave doyle about this because he's a big uh whatever patriots fan i was like oh it's so easy to be a fan of a winning team i admire you sir okay hold on hold on being a fan of a shit team hold on hold on jose jose i I know what you're gonna come no, I just want to I want to oh, defend oh, he, he I want to defend I want to defend Doyle for one second for being <laughs> because Doyle 
when I grew up, and so when Doyle's obviously Dave Doyle's obviously much older than me. When, when I was growing up, the New England Patriots were the worst team in in football. So you can tell a uh, a Patriots fan from that era and a Patriots fan this this current well, you know, era. And I, no, hold on, hold on, hold on. Yes, I understand. I understand. I understand. Sucks at some point. There was the, I under, I, under, I, under, I understand. Sean is a, is a Patriots fan in Arizona, um, but I'm just saying you can really tell a fan like my dad. He was not. He grew up when like, the year I was born. The Patriots were one in fifteen. Like they were the they were historically bad until 1999. Yes, they went to a Super Bowl, but they got cooked up 20, by Brett Favre. 21 years ago. <laughs> I don't yeah, know and yes, and the uh, Patriots they, had they, Tom they Brady were bad before Chase Hooper was born. Yeah, <laughs> look, that, it's all, point. Yeah, Go ahead. All I'm gonna say is that the Suns, before all of this happened over the last 11 years, were historically great and historically unlucky. We were the fourth winningest franchise in NBA history, and we're the only one, I think, in that whole like top five or top ten to not win a title. It was, and you could, and there was a giant list that I won't go through right now of just like here's the unlucky thing that happened on this season that the reason why we didn't win a title. Here's the unlucky thing that ha- this happened here: suspension, injury, all of this stuff. It was nonstop my entire life, and then all of a sudden we just became abject trash and not even just like the fun kind of trash it was like the kind of trash where you're not even doing one thing or the other you're kind of in this middle zone where you're you're not like tanking and drafting these good prospects who are giving you hope for the future but you're also not like you don't have anything to look for in terms of future past anything you're kind of trotting out Isaiah Cannon and, and Tyler Uless and Mike James and all of these ridiculous draft and Marquis chris and dragon bender and josh jackson and just like uh, this parade of endless bullshit that wasn't anything it, I, I watched so many seasons where i watched 90 percent of the games of 19 wins out of 82 games and then all of a sudden we fall four spots in the draft because somebody jumps us and it's just it, it was the worst type of misery ever where you just feel that this is never going to end and you don't know why you're wasting all your time on this. And you have no sense of anything when it comes to like what actual basketball looks like at a certain point. Like I, I, I don't really watch a lot of other teams. So like for a long time, basketball was just an ugly sport to me because I didn't actually understand what good basketball looked like. And now all of a sudden to have this, to randomly have this come into our lives really since the bubble last year where all of a sudden we're 8-0 in that bubble. And ever since then, we're basically the best team in the whole NBA when it comes to the records. This is the this is genuinely the wildest thing I have ever experienced as an adult man who likes sports and I never saw it coming. I I am enjoying every second of it. I've been to like five playoff games at this point. Jose and I have already started conversations about potentially going (laughs) to Utah for game one to make assholes out of ourselves if, if that's the series. I'm trying to enjoy this as much as possible. I just bought $300 of Sons in 4 merch yesterday. <laughs> like you don't understand. I don't know that I'll ever experience this again in my entire life. And all I ever wanted was just once. I just just give me one. Like my whole life. Like just I I'll live the rest of my life with none if you just give me one because I don't even understand what one would feel like. This felt like it. Like this feels like the the chance man. Everything is breaking our way. Every possible like like I was afraid of Brooklyn and now maybe Brooklyn's still in it. So like who knows? But like it just feels like things are breaking our way in the way that they never do in sort of like a 2011 Mavericks type of situation. Yeah. And and I am so, so trying to not just go like get myself too 
up for it where it's just like i'm just gonna have the the worst heartbreak of my life but there is a 90 percent chance that at some point during this run maybe after a playoff game like phoenix is just gonna burn to the ground because the whole state feels like i just did like every there's a billion people in the state who could just make that exact same rant and at some point you're just gonna see me outside of this arena in the middle of a riot flipping burning cop cars with my shirt off like it's just like this is the inevitable end to this if we win this title I'm going to be going off the face of the earth for like two weeks and wake up in some back alley in Thailand. Like, I'm not going to understand what happened two weeks of my life. It's going to be ridiculous. And that's, I just want that. I just want to feel yeah. that once. Just and once. From so, as someone who didn't grow up in Arizona, like Sean did, um, Phoenix Suns actually had good fans even when they were bad. Like, there's no, I've never really met a diehard Diamondbacks fan. You don't meet a lot of diehard Cardinals fans. When you go to those games, it's like 75% for the other team and then like 25% for the home team. Suns fans, to their credit, have been a very vocal and very like you've all seen the video of that of uh what's her name at the at the city council meeting or whatever like sons yeah. have good have have great fans and they stuck with this team when they were trash also i i know a lot of you tweeted at me when the suns won when they swept the when they beat the lakers and they swept uh uh the nuggets send all that to sean because as you just heard he's an actual diehard suns fan i like the suns by proxy after living here for 10 years Send it, send all that positivity to Sean. He needs it. I'm all just I'm, saying we're going to Utah game one. It's going to happen. All I'm saying. Oh is, no, I'm already, I'm already, I'm ready to go, man. You, like once that series is over, I'm buying tickets. All I'm saying, Sean, it's it feels better. I admire, I admire fans of shitty sports teams because that takes commitment, and it feels better when they do <laughs> oh win. God. Being dude. being being a fan of a winner, that's easy. Being a fan it, of a shit team, that's dude. that's that's where you go. My when my grandmother saw the Boston Red Sox win their first World Series in 2004 after 86 years, I I have never seen a happier human being because she was like she, she 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 missed the last Red Sox World Series obviously, and then she finally and then she died a year later, and she even was like I can die happy now, and I was like I don't I have no idea what that feels like because I was 13 when the Red Sox won the World Series. <laughs> I have no I'm idea never going to know what I have no idea what it's like to be part of a team that didn't win a World Series for 86 years. So yeah, good on you, dude. When the Astros won the World Series, I I feel that moment. I I can still remember that moment. So I, I, yeah, man. Like I I can't. Last thing on this, I can't tell you the amount of times that I've had conversations with buddies over the last 10, 15 years where we're just you know sitting in a garage hanging out at 2 a.m. and it's just like. I am genuinely afraid that I will die and all of this will have been for nothing. And I got nothing out of this. Like nothing positive came to me for all of this stupid time and energy that I invested in this crappy franchise. And finally we might have this one shot. That's I just, I need it. I need it. I need it so bad. <laughs> Sons and four model of the story. Sons and four. Anyway, that what a, what a fantastic way to end this from, Guillermo Cruz, Brazilian MMA media extraordinaire. This Shaheen guy is a handsome dude. Thank you, Guillermo. Um, he's a handsome dude. He's like 6'5", too. <laughs> anyway, we'll have we'll have to have Guillermo back on the show because he but he's playing dad now, so uh, he's he's kind of uh, you know he has his handful the new young one. But anyway, this has been the Outside Live Chat here on MMAFind.com. This has been Jose. Sean, do you have anything to say before we close out, or did you just go on your full rant and that's how you want to end it? 
Nah, man. I mean, I appreciate having you back, or have, having you back. You having me back. <laughs> Thank Dang. you. I, thanks, for, thanks for having me back. Uh, it was so much fun being back uh, on the ground with you last week, and I'm so excited for the future of MMA fighting and what we're going to do here. We got big plans. Uh, I can't wait for it. It has been an honor and a pleasure. I'm sure we will do this again. Sons and four, baby. Sons and four, Casey. Anything you want to say from America? Is that a super junior? Is that a super cup shirt? Yeah, yeah. it is. Yeah. I know. Just be nice to your fellow neighbors and um, I know. Have fun out there. Don't be an asshole. Don't be an asshole. What a way to end it. You can find this on Spotify, Stitcher, YouTube, iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Periscope, Facebook Live, and of course you come back here and watch it on YouTube. And with that, we'll see you next Wednesday. Happy birthday, AK. Oh, boy. You're listening to the Vox Media Podcast Network. With the NBA Finals around the corner, you can bet with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code VOXMMA. That's code VOXMMA for new customers to get a no-sweat bet up to $1,500 if your first bet doesn't hit. Only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or in West Virginia, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 and over, age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. One no-sweat bet per new customer. Issued as one bonus bet based on amount of initial losing bet. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligibility, wagering, and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. First thing in the morning, as soon as you wake up, the to-do list starts. Does the car need gas? Hopefully those leftovers are still good. Why did I get CC'd on mom? No. You can't escape the to-do list, but you can make the most of your me time with a relaxing shower using Method Hair Care products. Try Pure Peace Volumizing, Simply Nourish Moisturizing, or Daily Zen Shampoo and Conditioner for daily use. All formulated with long-lasting fragrances and are safe for color-treated hair. Reconnect with the best version of yourself. Visit methodproducts.com to unleash your inner shower.